The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. We're joined for today's Culture Club by Martin Hayes. I'm sure you recognise him from The Gloaming. He's published his new memoir, Shared Notes. But before we talk to him about that, let's hear a little bit of music by The Gloaming. This is The Sailor's Bonnet. Sailor's Bonnet. Martin Hayes, are you back performing yet? Well, bit by bit in small ways, you know. I, I did a little bit at this year's Kilkenny Arts Festival and uh, we'll have been doing a, a, little, a little bit at the concert hall. And um, yeah, so just a small bit. It's coming back gradually, you know. But As a performer, how much did you miss it over the last 18 months playing in front of large audiences? Well, I think, you know, I, I do miss performing and I miss the... What's interesting about performing... Uh, like in front of a live audience is that you start to play there's no looking back one must go forward through it mistakes errors mishaps anything but you just keep going through it and there's a kind of an energy to that and there's also just the adrenaline of it and for me performing is a time when new things happen and and it's a creative time and uh, it's kind of like it's I, I I think I nearly learned how to play sitting on the stage to tell you the truth. But it, it it's a it's a it's a, a time of kind of opportunity. Hang on, musically. somebody as accomplished as you, do you actually make mistakes? And but if you make mistakes, is it only you know you've made a mistake? I don't know. I I can make huge, enormous ones. I I think the the key is that I don't care so much, and uh, and because I don't care about making mistakes, I maybe don't make as many as I might uh, ordinarily. <laughs> but uh, yeah, mistakes are you know to err is to be human and I, I tell students sometimes about this story about Indian carpet makers uh, that they would weave a flaw into their carpet to let the heart out meaning that like anything so completely perfect that it didn't have the natural human flaw within it was somehow lacking like the, we, we're not looking for absolute perfection we're looking for your best effort but we we want to see the humanity in, in things so natural flaws are a normal and natural thing I believe So the book your memoir, Shared Notes, is this a lockdown book, something that you got the time to do when you weren't performing? Yeah, I mean, like, it just probably couldn't have happened at any other time because I don't know that I would have been able to set that time aside in the way I did, in at least in one concentrated chunk anyway. So, so yes, it's it's a lockdown book. What prompted you to do it? Um, 
uh, Penguin asked me. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, hang on, it still has to be a desire to actually to write and yeah. to evaluate all of the things that have happened throughout your life. Yeah, of course, yeah. Now, in, in reality, uh, I had been approached by another publisher previously, but I had procrastinated so long as that they just gave up. And uh, But through, all through that process, I, I mean, I, I teach a lot and I talk a lot about music and I thought I might use the book as an opportunity to uh, kind of delve into that world of music and explain something of the reality inside the traditional Irish music world, you know, and, and give my ideas on that. And I, I hadn't planned on writing a memoir at all. Uh, I just wanted to talk about music, but I couldn't find the right vehicle. So in, in the end, I accepted the idea that a memoir might actually be the, the way to go, which was what Penguin were suggesting to me. So I, I did, you know, I didn't think my story was very interesting, but anyway... Uh, and as you wrote now. it, did you find yourself becoming more interesting? How, what, how did you find yourself when you actually did start writing? Oh, it? it was fascinating. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, you know, as I, as I, no, I, I, what was interesting was that I remembered way more than I thought I did. And when you start to kind of do that journey of going back into your memories and writing, you know, as you unearth one thing, another thing related begins to unearth itself. And the other thing was uh, like figuring out the chronology of one's own life. You know, when did this actually happen? And Yeah, how uh, reliable are your memories? Well, I, I did a lot. I had a whole document called Chronology <laughs> sitting beside me while I was doing the book, which was, okay, so I remember uh, 1969, uh, Milton Malbe sitting on the stage, on stage of the Tully Kelly Band because uh, it was the night of the moon landing. Okay, so I got that. Okay, um, there, so th there are lots of other events like you know, when I was in school, when I went to secondary school, what in sixth class, where was I in fifth class? You know, and presumably that chronology kept expanding as well. Oh, did it, it did, yeah, and I kept adding stuff into it. Like, and 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 I even did such things as look myself up in Wikipedia, if you don't mind, <laughs> and uh, so so just to find out when did you actually make that record? Okay, that's when that came out. All right, okay, and then I I actually have a, a digital calendar that goes all the way back through a big chunk of my career. Uh, that was useful. So yeah, I was I was able to actually check the dates all the way back to two thousand and before. Okay, well, given that you've checked so much, you have a great opportunity for our culture club to actually remember the various, uh, the answers to the questions we've asked, such as first single. And then you turn around and you tell us you can't even remember even buying a first single. Well, because I didn't buy one. I never bought a single. Uh, because, like, singles were, were, I suppose, basically a pop music medium at the time and they were usually in advance of an LP or whatnot. And uh, so I was purely listening to trad music and they weren't releasing singles at all. So it was... They were all LPs, but the only singles I had were 78 RPMs that were there in the house from my, when my dad was a young man. And so I was listening to those records as well. So, you know, I was... Uh, Did you have much interest, though, in pop music or other forms of music, or was it from an early age it was solely traditional? It was solely traditional. I, I, I didn't have an interest in other music at all. And uh, just, you know, it, it, it's it kind of... It came in time, though, didn't it? Uh, of course, yeah. As we'll I see mean, from your various yeah, choices. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, music is a big, broad world, but uh, I, I uh, started out completely immersed in traditional music. It was just like what I grew up in. And for whatever reason, at whatever young age, I just really connected with that music and got to know the tunes really well in my head. I could sing them before I ever could play a tune on the fiddle, in a sense, you know. So I was, you know, it was... Kind of, I don't know. It was just the thing I was into. I lo I couldn't understand why everybody else didn't love it as much as the Beatles or whatnot. You know? Are you self-taught on the fiddle? 
No, well, not really. I mean, and on one level, yes, and on another level, no. I, I'm not self-taught in that I grew up in the house with a father who was a fiddle player, and he sat in front of me, and the way I learned was he would play a bar of a tune, and I would imitate him. And uh, But he didn't necessarily explain what, what he was doing or how he was doing it or anything like that. So the initial part of it was just watching, observing, uh, absorbing, imitating. And then at a certain point, it was like, I go lock myself in a room with records and learn more and more tunes and stuff. And then it turned from my father showing me things to kind of us talking about music and kind of sharing ideas about music and what we liked in certain tunes and what note was really going to make a melody or not, you know. So in a sense, there was very little instruction on how to actually play the fiddle. So, and but that's that was common in Irish music. So, so you had like lots and lots of fiddle players really creating their own way with the instrument. You have people like Tommy Peoples, Tommy Potts, Paddy Dlack, and uh, Junior Cree and Bobby Casey. You know, though, and they all Frankie Gavin. They all sound different, and that's because they all had to make their own way with the instrument on some level. Give us a favorite album. Uh, of traditional music. Well, uh, we well, have yeah, the favorite album. Yeah. Well, for me, it's kind of like. The Liffey Banks by Tommy Potts is a very obscure recording, uh, but to many of us in the world of traditional music, it's kind of a holy grail, you know. And, Why is uh, that? Because he was he was he's kind of like our John Coltrane, uh, in a way. He's he's of a depth of soul and experience and freedom that very few of us reach. And uh, so when I hear it, it might not be uh, the kind of music that everybody will enjoy. In fact, I know very few people will enjoy it, but, uh, and not that many people actually listen to John Coltrane either. But should you actually listen enough and penetrate it, it's as if a complete universe of expression and feeling opens up in, in an extraordinary kind of way. So we're going to have the title track of the Liffey Banks, all 78 seconds of it. There you go. In its entirety, Tommy Potts' solo fiddle recording the Liffey Banks. What does that do for you now listening to it? Uh, it brings me home. Um, when I was a child, he used to visit our house 
Um, it also brings me into the beauty of the melodies and the possibility of the melodies. It's 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 probably something that's coded for us who play the music. I I don't imagine that a it's it's even even many traditional musicians don't care for that album, but uh, but for a certain group of us, it's uh, kind of just a key. We asked you for a favorite band, and you've nominated Radiohead. Yeah. Well, like you know, I mean, the the thing, like my my interest in music has expanded a lot over the years. But I I I found you know Radiohead when when it came out and when it was happening, like I thought, wow, this is just like a whole other level of creativity here and uh, a whole other sonic world and just you know, you know, something I couldn't have imagined beforehand. So I I was fascinated by that and the way that they've evolved in a period of twenty twenty five years as yeah, well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. The track that we have is from OK Computer. This is Karma Police. by Radiohead from OK Computer. Martin Hayes is with us for the Culture Club. There's been many guests on the Culture Club have given us Radiohead over the years, but I suspect you could have given us a long list of favourite bands, could you? Oh, there's no end to it, really. It's it's like there's no such thing. Like, it's... uh People would ask me, what's your favourite tune? And I'm going, oh, God, I don't know. We'll see what first comes into my head when I play, maybe. But I, I, I don't have very good favourite list like that, you know. <laughs> OK, well, best concerts. I mean, you did give us a couple of very interesting choices for best concert as well, which, again, might be a little bit unexpected to people. Rory Gallagher is the first one you gave us. Yeah, well, I I, I write a little bit about it in the book, actually, um, about a night in Chicago when I... Um, wanted to go see him because uh, my friend, uh, one of the colleagues in the Tullochelly band, believe it or not, was a huge Rory Gallagher fan. He was a musician my own age, Andrew McNamara. So he had been like indoctrinating me with Rory Gallagher from my late teens on and I was like, you know, kind of getting into it, kind of connecting to it. And I'd never gone to see Rory Gallagher, but I'm in Chicago at this stage and I see Rory Gallagher is playing in town. I go, I got to go see this. I get there. There are no tickets, so I have to really spend a long time bargaining my way into that venue. And I eventually bribed my way, and I would think, you know, in the end. And uh, I got in, and the concert was already underway when I got in. But Rory Gallagher was up on the stage there, and I suppose the abiding image was like of somebody with absolutely nothing held back, like completely freely giving 100% of his energy and person and being on the stage. And I just kind of, 
there was something about it in that moment that just grabbed me in a way and, and just kind of woke me up to the real nature of real musical performance, you know, what that could be, you know. Even though the music is utterly unrelated to how I play or what's actually dear to me, but I've over the years learned that, you know, if you're looking inside your own little world, uh, you, you know, you won't always get the messages you need to get and you, there's a world of information all around you in all kinds of areas so you need to have an open mind and an open ear I suppose for that but Rory Gallagher and that night in Chicago was uh, I was very proud of him as well because Chicago is that big blues town you know and they adored him and uh, well, many people regard him as one of the greatest electric guitarists ever yeah, well, I, I mean, I think he was. He was a kind of a national hero in that sense, you know, and I was very proud of him and very proud to see it so powerfully on display in Chicago that night. Let's hear him a live version of Messing with the Kid. Maybe what he used to do for rock and blues, the electric guitar, is not too far removed from what you do with the fiddle. Well, you know, music is music, you know, that that is the main thing. And music is energy and it's uh, connection and it's uh, power and it's emotion and it's all of those things. And it just comes out in all these different forms. But you can always uh, learn from like every genre of music, really. You also gave us a Stevie Wonder um, concert that you saw in Connecticut as a suggestion. Yeah, you know, it was like, uh, like I, I would have thought that I hadn't really listened to Stevie Wonder much, you know. But when you go to a Stevie Wonder concert and he starts playing all these hits, you go, oh God, I know that one too. Oh God, I know, you know, like suddenly, wow. And But the power of that rhythm and groove that came off of that stage uh, with with Stevie Wonder was actually astonishing. Like uh, I'm very kind of reserved and stuff, and I don't get to my feet so easily. But I was on my feet, you know, and uh, I was going, holy God, like it went on for hours and it felt like a half an hour and it could have gone on for another couple of hours as far as I was concerned, you know. So Stevie Wonder was actually amazing. And they played Giant Steps, this jazz tune, like this John Coltrane jazz tune that's like one of the hardest like jazz tunes to really master giant steps and I'm I'm listening along the next thing the brand, band takes a break and plays giant step and I go who are these people like who are these musicians it was just incredible anyway loved it okay Martin Hayes is with us for the Culture Club he's written his memoir Shared Notes and we're going to move away from music into other areas of his cultural life when we come back after this break 
Welcome back. Martin Hayes is with us for the Culture Club. Of course, you know him as one of the great fiddle players, also uh, from the gloaming, and he has written his memoir, Shared Notes, which brings us to books. Our author, do you read a lot? Uh, I tend to read like uh, kind of non-fiction-y type books. I, I tend to be that way, you know. Yeah, so... And anything that sticks out in particular for you? Um, the journey to my to my father's home by Patrick. Uh, what's his uh, Patrick Joyce? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Sorry. And I was talking to him the other day on the phone actually about it. And uh, we, we he's we have some mutual friends. But I, I was reading his book, and it was in context of having written a book. You know, makes me actually look at writing in a whole new way. And um, and the other thing was that uh, he covered a lot of subject material that was uh, very close to what I was trying to get at in my own book. And uh, I found it really fascinating. And he did a really brilliant job. Sorry, what sort of subject material? Well, the people of the West of Ireland. Now, of course, he was talking a lot about immigration and politics in his book and a lot of different social issues. Like, but uh, but the way of life, the way the 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 the, I suppose the nobility of the peasant consciousness in some ways. You know, he kind of had a way of unearthing that. I I found very interesting in his book. You know. Okay. Now, favorite player musical. Uh, I don't have one. Really. <laughs> That's fair enough. Like, you don't yeah, have to have I, one. I'm I don't just have, one. Like, have one. I, I don't. I don't really like. You know, I'm, I. I don't get to go to plays very often. Of course, I'm living in in Spain, so I'm not. You know, like I, I probably wouldn't be able to follow it well enough to do it. And uh, uh, musicals. I, I. I. I saw the producers. Uh, you know, I don't know. I. I have much experience. How long are you living in Spain? I've been there about six years. And why? My wife is Spanish. Okay. She's from Madrid, although I met her in County Clare and, uh, and she had lived in Ireland for a long time. But uh, for the last few years, we've been in Madrid and really enjoying it too. Very different from Clare. It is, yeah, it is. But but difference is good. Okay, have you a favourite movie to offer us? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, like my default mode is comedy, you know, uh, and I love humour and I love to laugh and I you know I like in terms of comedy movies I keep going back to the big Lebowski like I, I, I just I'm endlessly amused by the dude you know <laughs> Well you can tell us a little bit more about why you like it after we have played a clip we're going to play the bowling alley scene from the big Lebowski with Jeff Bridges John Goodman and others and we have to give the obligatory language warning for this Over the line! Huh? I'm sorry, Smokey. You were over the line. That's a foul. Bullshit. Market eight, dude. Uh, excuse me. Market zero. Next frame. Bullshit, Walter. Market eight, dude. Smokey, this is not nom. This is bowling. There are rules. Hey, Walter, come on. It's just, hey, man, it's Smokey. So his toe slipped over a little, you know? It's just a game, man. This is a league game. This determines who enters the next round robin. Am I wrong? Yeah, but I wasn't. Am I wrong? Yeah, but I wasn't over. Give me the marker, dude. I'm marking an eight. Smokey, my friend, you're entering a world of pain. Walter, man. You mark that frame in eight, you're entering a world of pain. I'm not. A world of pain. Look, dude, I, this is your partner. Has the whole world gone crazy? Am I the only one around here who gives a shit about the rules? Mark at zero. They're calling the cops, man. Put the piece away. Mark at zero. Walter, put the piece away. Walter? You think I'm fucking around here? Mark at zero. All right, it's fucking zero. You happy, you crazy fuck? It's a league game, Smoke. 
Yes, we could give you the language warning. Possibly John Goodman's best ever performance. I watched it again during lockdown and it is mad, but it brilliant. Is, yeah, it is very funny. Does uh, you, you there was a, the funny line there. I mean, Goodman keeps going with that line. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? And Jeff Bridges uh, re- responds and says, no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. You're an asshole. <laughs> and uh, so, so it, the, 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 in the gloaming then, we, you know, we, I don't know how this got into our kind of dialogue, like backstage or on the road. You know, it would be, you know, you're not wrong. <laughs> like if somebody said to you you're not wrong he was caught the, un, the unspoken yes, you are an asshole you know? yeah, you're not wrong <laughs> so uh, Earlow Leonard will be familiar with that one <laughs> but you all still get on well oh we do yeah right what about television we ask people from favourite television as a child and favourite now go back to ch- childhood for us first Oh, well, I mean, yeah, childhood. Yeah, we we had a television before we had many other things uh, in the house. But uh, yes, I, I remember uh, like being young enough to enjoy Wanderley Wagon and uh, um, and the Reardons. Uh, so, I, you know, I mean, it's like I couldn't really pick a favorite TV show because at what age of your life would you would you would you decide that the favorite thing was? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I watched all of those things growing up, just like everybody else. And then to adulthood, given that you say that you love humor and you've picked the Big Lebowski for us, I see your favorite TV show is one of the funniest sitcoms ever made. Yeah, Seinfeld. Yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't watch much TV when I was living in America, and uh, and I had no interest in sitcoms. But I don't know how I got hooked on the Seinfeld thing, but I found it irresistible. And as time went on, the characters grew on me, and of course, the characters themselves developed, and I, I just found it hilarious. You know. And you know, it's all available now, start to finish on Netflix. I've started again. Have yeah, you? I have. Yeah. <laughs> Has it dated in any way for you? Well, of course it's dated, but it's still just as funny. And, uh, you know, it's it, like Jerry is neurotic and like I think neurotic behaviour will be around forever, you know. And, uh, you know, so there's, there's all kinds of, yeah, I mean, parts of it are dated, but it, it is, I think it'll stay funny for a long time. Okay, we'll have a bit here uh, from Seinfeld featuring Jerry Seinfeld in a confession box. No. Tell me your sins, my son. Uh, well, I, I should mention that I'm Jewish. Well, that's no sin. Oh, good. <laughs> Anyway, I, I wanted to talk to you about Dr. Watley. I, I have a suspicion that he's converted to Judaism purely for the jokes. And this offends you as a Jewish person? No, it offends me as a comedian. <laughs> and it'll interest you to know that he's also telling Catholic jokes. Well... Uh... And, I mean, and they're old jokes. I mean, the Pope and Raquel Welch in a lifeboat. I haven't heard that one. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you have. They're out on the ocean and yada, yada, yada. And she, and she says, those aren't buoys. One second. <laughs> well, if it would make you feel better, I could speak to Dr. Watley. Uh, I, I have to go back and have a wisdom tooth removed. Good luck. You know the difference between a dentist and a sadist, don't you? Um, Newer magazines. <laughs> That's funny. Now, if you would excuse me. 
Seinfeld. Excellent. Okay, to finish, Martin Hayes, I'm going to ask you for a podcast. Do you listen to podcasts? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. Well, on and off, you know, I, I get go through phases of listening to them. I mean, there isn't time to be doing all these things, really, you know, so sometimes I, I do it. And when I do, I tend to listen to uh, The Daily, the New York Times podcast. Of course, I, as I say, I lived in America for 26 years and I do have a kind of political curiosity and a bit of a political junkie, so I, I follow things and and they're quite good, you know. Martin Hayes, it's been great having you here for the Culture Club on the last word of Today FM, as well as being on radio. This will also go out as a podcast for people to enjoy as well. And I'm sure many people are going to enjoy your memoir, Shared Notes. Martin Hayes, thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.